Welcome to the Grow Dan Grow Show. Join us as we educate and inspire cannabis cultivators from across the globe with an entertaining show featuring some of the biggest names in the industry. From growing solutions and best practices to the latest trends and common misconceptions, learn how you can grow more using less from seed through harvest. This is the Grow Dan Grow Show podcast, powered by Grow Dan. Hello and welcome back to the Grow Dan Grow Show. I am your host, Riley Jones. Today on episode 10, I am joined by friend and colleague, Ben Feldman, North American crop consultant at Grodan, specifically in the United States. Um, but before I get to that, I just want to give a big shout out to all of our listeners, all of our subscribers, everybody who's taken the time to share, like, um, listen to the episodes, reached out to me personally to let me know what you thought. It's been amazing. The support has been awesome and we can't wait to continue to give you guys more episodes. I have a lot more great episodes planned, which brings me to today's episode uh, with Ben. It's going to be all about water channeling today. It's been a bit of a buzzword um, and as Ben will explain, water channeling is a natural and necessary phenomenon that allows water to drain from a substrate. Cultivators often open up irrigation pathways or water channels before the substrate is properly hydrated, causing a slew of problems that can quickly become cost. So throughout the show, we're going to discuss the effects of water channeling, how this can lead to root damage, discuss a couple topics like excessive drain and false drain, and answer a handful of questions submitted by you, the listeners, through IG, Facebook, everything, LinkedIn. So if you want to submit a question, hit me up. I'm always available and I'll bring it into one of the next shows. We also add an addition to the complete guide to Stonewall Growing Media and wrote a blog about the importance of understanding and controlling water channeling. So if you're more of a physical copy kind of person or you just want to have something on the go on your phone, uh, take a look at those. Those are really good resources and they really break down a lot of what we talk in the show today. Um, obviously, the podcast goes into much greater detail. Uh, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Ben Feldman. Hello and welcome back to the Grow Dan Grow Show. This is your host, Riley Jones. This is episode 10. Uh, today I'm joined by Ben Feldman, crop consultant at Grodan. Nice to talk with you, Riley. It's been a minute. It has been. It's I mean, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Ben. Uh, we chat on the phone a lot. Uh, as you guys know, I, I ping the crop consultants a lot, being uh, our social rep and you know, whenever I get questions about certain things, I always have to ping off one of them just to double check, make sure I'm uh, correct. Um, which kind of leads a little bit into our conversation today um, and why I have been on the show, other than him just being awesome, talking <laughs> about, uh, you know, irrigation channeling. Uh, we've had a couple questions come in from social, you know, people talking about, you know, trying to control those issues, having problems. And when I talked to Ben, I said, you know what, it's the best idea just to have you on the podcast. Uh, people haven't got a chance to get to know you yet. And I think it's a really good opportunity. Uh, when did you get hired, Ben? Oh, I'm going on two years with Grodan. Yeah, so it, I mean, it, it's a great time to get your your name out there. I know it kind of the Grodan it takes a little bit to to get up there, uh, but now he's uh, he's out there. He's doing presentations. He's you know writing uh, uh, um, additions to new uh, channeling documents and everything that we've got. So before we get into the heavy conversation, let's just you know tell the people a little bit about yourself. You know where you came from and how you landed at Grodan. Totally. So I grew up in a small town called Athens in Southern Ohio. I went to university there, Ohio University, 
And my background was, I'm in a plant scientist and I've always been about the plant life. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, like I was always in the garden with my mom and, you know, she taught me how to, you know, sow seeds and how to take cuttings of various things. Um, and, you know, as I got older, you know, I started working in professional growing environments. You know, I started out growing little tiny plugs, so things like geraniums, um, mums, things like that. And I really, I got in learning the, you know, the tech of the trade at Green Circle Growers. They're a super large orchid facility in North Ohio. And I spent a few years there and I, you know, that opened the door for me to really get into our industry. And I've always been, you know, pro-cannabis. I wanted to see cannabis kind of rise up alongside big ag. And that's part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put us on the same level as everybody else. That's really cool. So I guess your parents would have got you in really, like really early, eh? Was there something when you were younger that you maybe like you enjoyed growing more than other things? Like was a certain vegetable or a plant that you had kind of like a little more of an attachment to that you enjoyed right off the bat? Well, you know, professionally, it was about flowers. Yeah. Obviously. But um, I really like to grow things that you can use too. So vegetables was something that my family always did. It was pretty rural where we lived. So it was very common for people to have pretty expansive gardens. Tomatoes. I love growing tomatoes. You know, they're, they're a favorite of mine. But I also grow a lot of flowers too. So fun fact, uh, I think maybe like once a week, Ben might show me a picture. He'll just send me a text out of date. Yo, check out this tomato. And it'll just be <laughs> this amazing picture of his tomato that he's growing. So uh, he, he really knows the stuff. But I mean, I always love uh, I always love when you guys send me the pictures. Chad sends me a lot of flower pictures as well. And it's always, um, you guys always take great shots too. It's uh, undervalued. <laughs> um, so um, tell me a little bit about your role at Grodan. Uh, specifically as a crop consultant in the U.S.? So obviously crop advisor, you know, I support the cultivator. That's one thing I always drive home. I'm here to support you. That's my agenda. Um, you know, so we do site visits. We look and see what's going on. I'm not just there to like correct, you know, what I see. You know, that's obviously a large part of the job. But, you know, one of the major benefits for me is I get to go to facilities, you know, and every facility teaches me something new. And, you know, working with the cultivators allows us to take our amazing product and, you know, take it to the next level. And so I really couldn't do that without the cultivators. And that's one thing that I'm super blessed to be able to do is visit, you know, all walks of life and see everything from the small to the large cultivators. And even, the you know, the small cultivators, there's a lot of special on the big cultivators, but there's also a lot of special on the small cultivators. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's nice being able to see it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always enjoyed... Um, you know, getting to see the micro and the large, I mean, it, it's just a bit of a different, like a whole different ball game when you go into Definitely. one and then some, but then you get this, like, you know, there's this, like, uh, you see the small teams or it's, you walk into a micro and they've got like four people working there. And it's just, it just seems like it's such a small, you know, like a family. And I, and I always love that vibe too. Um, and I, and I think, uh, it's just, it, it's really, it's just really interesting to see. I, you know, sometimes for the pictures, you might think that every cultivation is massive. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes with the small cultivators, they might do things that are, you know, you don't see in the large facility, but sometimes they do things so right that I look at what they're doing and it's like, how can we take that and expand it and bring it to scale? Because, you know, they have the ability to fine tune. They've got the resources, they've got the labor to be able to handle a small operation. And sometimes that's what you need if you want to take it to scale. Yeah. I mean, one of the past episodes, we spoke with uh, Jeff Aubin and Sherry Aubin of Smoker Farms and they have more of a micro. And 
yeah, it's just interesting to see some of the the techniques and things that he does, but might not be able to be so successful at scale, um, you know, at large, but at the small, he's crushing it, right? So it's it's really interesting. I, I just like seeing that uh, the different uh, the different uh, you know ways of growing that people have kind of established based on their environment and everything. Um, I mean, there's probably no better time uh, probably to segue right into uh, this uh, irrigation channeling topic. Uh, like I said, we you know we we've talked about this a lot um, and the importance and understanding it. But I think sometimes you hear these words like in the past, like you know BPD or this or how to control this, and sometimes it gets lost on you know just needing a little more explanation um, into how to prevent it, understanding it, you know the warning signs and things like that as well. So. I thought, uh, you know, we're going to have an addition that's going to go into the complete guide of Stonewall Growing, which you can find on growday101.com. And we're also going to have a blog by the time this airs, you'll be able to see a blog on the site that'll just kind of lift it um, and just talk about maybe some of the highlight points that Ben was discussing in this addition to our complete guide. Um, but I figured, you know, the best thing really is to also add that and have you on the show and talking about it. So you tell me a little bit about your addition to the complete guide um, and precision channeling, uh, just in general. So the main thing, like the reason that it came to be, I think is also important. Yeah. A lot of what we say on the cannabis space is not the same as it is on the, on the larger ag side. And so, like I said earlier, one thing I'm trying to do is trying to get everybody on equal footing. And there are some terms that we throw around that might not actually be totally correct. And so, you know, we were talking about some of those terms and one of them that came up is channeling. It is a super popular buzzword in our industry. And unfortunately, it's, you know, it's kind of been misappropriated. So the most important thing to remember about water channeling is that water channeling is a natural and necessary phenomenon that allows water to drain from a substrate. Usually when you hear somebody talking about channeling, they're like, oh man, like the water is just running from the top of the block to the bottom. Well, like you're creating drain. And yes, you opened your irrigation pathways or your channels but like you have to create you have to have channels in your substrate in order for water to pass from the top to bottom yeah so that's what confused me off the bat too so i was glad when you gave me a little more explanation of it because you're right like just off initial thought you think that oh it's just the water channeling through but there's so much more to it of you know involving like how you're irrigating and what's in the substrate and everything so yeah please go on yeah I, this is going to be interesting yeah, so, you know, oftentimes if we have a cultivator who's quote-unquote channeling, what they're really saying is, is their irrigation channels are opening before they've reached the, you know, saturation level in the block that they're trying to achieve. And that's usually indicative of, you know, there's something wrong there. That could be that their shot sizes are too large, the irrigation, you know, the amount of water that they're applying in, in, in a singular event. And it could also be that the amount of events that they have, even though their shot sizes are small, the amount of events that they have are too close together. That can also create the similar pattern of the water running, you know, from the top of the block to the bottom. And so that's where it gets to be important. You know, how do we control this? Let's not be afraid of channeling in the substrate. Let's embrace it and let's just control it. The deeper understanding you have of it, you can start manipulating it to your benefit, right? Opposed to it being a pitfall, um, you know, or something that's, you know, causing issues. So what would be like your, your major pitfalls that you would say that would come through if someone was having issues with water channeling or suspects they're having issues with water channeling or There's irrigation so, channeling. Yeah, pardon me. there are so many things that could happen. Um, you know, and just like to name a few, like if you open up your channels before you've reached your desired water content, usually a cultivator sees 
you know, like, let's just say, for instance, if you're trying to aim for 60% water content, but you're draining at 40%, they start adding more water or they increase the frequency and they don't actually raise the amount of water in the substrate. And it just gets to be a problem. Well, you know, all of this water has to go somewhere, right? And so it starts going to their tables. Their tables get wet. Their dehumidifiers and HVAC systems have to start working harder. That moisture that lands on the tables or gutters, whatever they have, enters the environment. And so it gets to be a, you know, a problem. You start using a bunch more energy trying to remove the moisture from the air. It affects the way that your plants are you know, modulating temperature. Uh, so it's just, it gets to be, you know, kind of a, you chase your own tail scenario. Would you, would you say that like a lot of this can lead to like increased spending in any area when it comes to time spent or like, you know, anything like that? Definitely. So, you know, like energy is a hot topic yeah. in any industry right now. Yeah. Big time. Um, you know, at any, you know, at energy, you know, you can have energy that's heat. You can have energy that's electrical. It just depends on like the lens that you're looking through. But for like both of those, Anytime that you have to use equipment to remove something from an environment, it takes energy to do that. Whether it's from somebody in the room cleaning something up or if it's a machine trying to remove moisture from the air, that takes energy. So if we can, you know, try to eliminate some of the usage from this equipment, it, it saves money in your pocket as well. Now more than ever, that's that's huge, right? And, and as people try to get, you know, more sustainable as well, uh, reducing the energy and the water usage, you know, is is huge. Um, I just wanted to make sure I touched on this just because it was something I, I always think about that, you know, when, you know, some of the issues or, or reasons why people have water channeling is, you know, maybe they're not properly saturating their blocks off the beginning or, or it's not fully getting, uh, saturated. And I've heard you in the me past mention like those dry spots, obviously, but it can potentially lead to like root damage or, or, or something like that. And I, I always wondered, is that is that just because of the dry spots or is it is there any reason why you could be getting root damage during channeling? Right. So, yeah, there's like always a compounding effect, right? Like it's never just one thing. But like if let's say that you don't get the proper hydration in the block and you start having water passing from the top to the bottom, you do create a situation where there might be dry layers. It could be that like, you know, one on let's say you're using a six inch block, for instance, you might have five inches of that be moist, but the last inch might be dry, but you've got roots there, right? So they need to have some amount of water to stay happy. And if they dry out, your roots are going to, you know, essentially become ineffective. And that can be a, a vector for pathogens, disease, etc. Likewise, if your water, if you're not bringing up the proper hydration throughout the substrate, you can create these pockets. And it can be a situation where they were once previously moist, they start to dry out. The fertilizer that you're using in the solution, more or less crystallizes in those spots. And once it becomes dry, it can become difficult to get water to reach them again. So your roots, you know, they either eventually make it there and they don't like the high EC, the electrical conductivity, the measurement of how we determine how much fertilizer is there. They might not like that for that, you know, that time. And then likewise, they might just not go into that spot because it's dry and you're not, you know, using the most of your substrate as you could do you find that there's a certain time in the growth period that people fall into those pitfalls early on, or is it like during or throughout or near the end? Definitely. So it almost comes back to the transplant time. What you do during transplant is super critical. What people will see, you know, they'll, they'll plug a sensor into their, you know, the lower end of their substrate generally, and they'll be like, wow, it's like pretty, you know, the water content's high, so I'm just going to stop watering. 
And what they don't realize is gravity has an effect. And so they don't see a huge change in the, you know, where the sensor is, but the top of that substrate's getting drier and drier and drier. And so they start to lose the ability to keep it moist on the top. And this is any substrate, you know, like that's the thing to remember. Like these are things that you can practice at any substrate. And so that, that's, that's kind of where it starts. And so what we usually recommend, even though your sensor is telling you that it's moist, you need to be applying very small shots. They might be a 1% shot. It might be a 2% shot. But you periodically need to add some water to the top of your substrate so that when you're ready to begin steering your crop and you're ready to begin you know, applying all of your irrigation protocols, it's going to be as effective as you want it to. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, it's always what we talk about, um, you know, weighing blocks as well to, you know, to check them throughout periodically throughout, make sure that you you're getting the desired, uh, you know, wet weight and everything as well. When transplant, would you say that's like, uh, like early propagation or even just even when you're swat, like switching, let's say like a GR10 into a, you know, a slab is like generally that, like during that process as well, or. Propagation is usually pretty tight for a lot of people. Like, you know, if you have that, you know, let's assume that that's good. The biggest problem I see is when they plug either into their vegetative block or more importantly, when they're going into their finishing block. So like if they're going into flower and they're plugging a block into a slab, um, you know, that bottom slab, they move the sensor into the bottom slab. There are no, so this is what I tell people. You want to have your sensor where there are roots. So if you're putting your sensor into the bottom slab, which your roots will move into, you're not getting a, a, a super proper representation of like what you're trying to drive in the plant. So you always want to keep your sensor where the roots are. As your roots enter that bottom substrate, move your sensor, you know, into the next part of the, either the slab, the lower block, whatever it is. Um, and that's usually where a lot of people kind of lose it, but it's an easy fix as you go forward, right? This answers a lot of the questions I've actually had recently around, um, you know, irrigation and just having dry spots. And, and like, that's what a lot of people suffer from. And sometimes that can just be early on when they've um, initially wetted, uh, wetted up their blocks. So um, to, to keep on going this and just get into this a little bit deeper, um, what are the, what would you say are the biggest effects of water channeling um, and why it's so important to control that excessive drain. So where you are channeling can create a very high water content. So like, that's part of the thing too. You want to have a cycle of dry down, wetting up, and you want to have some highs and lows. You don't want to just be sitting on a high water content in the base of your block. You want to have some modulation there. If you're not doing that, you're damaging the roots. Those upper roots, you know, they become a vector for disease. And like, that's really a huge problem. You burn off those top roots. They stop, you know, pulling moisture for the plant. They allow disease to take hold. That moves to the plants that are in the bottom. If you have a super saturated base, you're also driving out the oxygen in that area. So like, you know, that's part of the compounding effect that we discussed earlier. You know, that's where you need to keep an eye at. This seems to be actually an area like it kind of, now that I'm hearing this more, it, it really sounds like this is actually may, maybe one of the major issues that people are having which is kind of interesting because um, I know it's a newer topic and we talked about, you know, irrigation channeling and, you know, some people have a lot of success in this, in this area too. But now that when I'm starting to hear some of the effects that could happen, it, it really does make a lot of sense. If it's all right, Riley, I'd like to kind of touch on the effects of water channeling again. Please do. And one of the things, you know, I talked about the pathogens and how they're, you know, the dying roots becomes a vector for that. One of the other problems that we have is excessive drain and false drain. And obviously, excessive drain means that there's so much water coming out of the block that it's, it's not actually appropriate. 
you're getting a host of problems like we talked about earlier. You know, your systems are running at a higher rate than they need to be. And then the other one is false drain. If you start, if you open up your irrigation channels too early and your water is coming out the bottom, we usually collect, you know, we recommend collecting that runoff from the bottom of your substrate. And if you're not getting the appropriate hydration, it doesn't really tell you a full story of what's going on in the core of your substrate. And so that's why it's so important to get, you know, the hydration levels of your substrate to be at the desired level before you start draining. To accommodate this issue, we have a really awesome three-phase model within our guide that breaks your 24-hour irrigation phase into three periods. And I full-heartedly recommend everybody to take a look at that. You know, we've, we've got our phase one. That's the time of the day where we're raising the water content of the blocks. That's usually in the, you know, when your lights come on. During phase one, we don't like to have drain because as we said earlier, if you've got drain coming from your blocks, you're not going to be raising the levels. As we enter phase two, we've reached that peak water content that we're striving for. That's when we really start to create drain. And if you create drain before you enter phase two, that becomes problematic because as I mentioned, you're not going to get the most clean results as you're taking those drain tests. And what I mean by that is, is you might get a collection of, you know, water and it'll tell you that the EC is very high, but if you had saturated the block a little bit more and you brought out some of the excess salts that were in the top layer, you're going to get a different story. And so that's why it's so important to control the channeling effect. No, that's, that's a great point. And quickly, you just, you touched on that and that's something that I've heard come up a lot. Chad's discussed on it with like the extra salts that are kind of in the block that tend to be, it's in the morning, right? When you, you know, for around the beginning. Um, and I, sometimes it's hard to explain that like through me. So it's great to have a technical, you know, expert is here. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to have the, like the EC is going to be higher. And, and what, what should people be looking for? Like, when is it a level where you should be, feel like that's dangerous or where it's kind of natural and you should not worry about it? And just like, when is a good time to kind of like, check the EC where you know it's going to actually be accurate and it's not kind of like bloviated because you've been drying back and everything. Right. So how low can you go kind of depends <laughs> on your, kind of depends on your situation, to be honest, and what yeah. kind of controls that you have. So generally, like, you know, the lowest that we recommend is usually around 25%. We don't go lower than that. I find a lot of people who have success not going below 30%. The lower that you go, the harder it is to, you know, normalize the moisture content on the top of your block and at night when you stop irrigating your moisture is leaving the block but your plant isn't necessarily taking up all of those leftover salts and so they start to mineralize or remineralize on the substrate and so if you are irrigating at a 2.5 and like your block is at a 3.0 it would not be totally unusual to see it at a 4.0 in the morning but our substrate has a very low CEC, which is the cation exchange capacity. So in layman's, it doesn't really hold on to nutrients in the way that other substrates do. Basically, the salts are on the outside of the fibers, and as moisture comes into contact, it's able to pull them out. And so in the morning, even though you've reached that higher EC, you're able to push them out very easily with our substrate, which is super beneficial to a lot of cultivators. Um you know, how low can you go is pretty personal and it just depends on what you can do in your specific setup. Yeah. I mean, we've had, uh, I mean, I mentioned them earlier, but I think even Jeff Aubin, those guys, they've, they've, they've had some pretty far drybacks, maybe ones that we wouldn't recommend. But again, how we speak to, you know, 
different growers having different environments, different setups, different strains. It's all specific, you know, generalized to their strain and everything. But uh, it's good. It's good to have that, you know, window because again, I think that sometimes where some people uh, struggle here and there, um, and uh, or you know, just knowing that they're on the right path is sometimes the best thing. Um, you did mention um, CEC quickly, and I just wanted just could you just quickly give a, me like your 30 seconds on that just to explain it. I it, Sometimes when I hear that terms like that, it's just like BPD when I first got here and I was like, what is it? So can you just quickly tell me that? Uh, a little more explanation. Right. So CEC, cation exchange capacity, is basically the substrate's ability to hold on to nutrients. The lower it is, the easier it is to replenish them or push them out of the substrate. Um, on other substrates, it can be quite high. Ours is kind of close to zero. So, like I said, like the fertilizer essentially on the outside of the fibers, because our product is made predominantly of stone, it does not suck into the fiber. Um, and that tends itself to have that low CEC. Excellent. That's a, I mean, that's got to be a huge benefit to, uh, to using stone wool over uh, other substrates. Let's pull this back because I, I want to get back into the channeling discussion here a little bit. And one area that, you know, I mean, part of the reason why we, started this podcast was a lot about just misinformation that we saw out there and i knew that it was the the best way to get this information out there is to have my greed experts on talking about uh you know topics like precision irrigation and channeling um what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you'd like to clarify about irrigation channeling i know we've kind of touched on a couple of them before um you know just as you as you were kind of speaking but can you just maybe like maybe your you know top two or three yeah, so like as I touched on, it's not actually a negative thing. Exactly. So yeah. It really yeah, it really comes down to controllability, like your ability as a cultivator to be able to control it and guide it. But the number one thing I would say is is that people think that it's totally a negative and they have to totally eliminate channeling. But you don't like eliminate channeling, you just learn to grow with the irrigation channeling. Cuz like in the simplest sense all it is are your water pathways. Mhm. You know, water cannot move without those channels being open. It's kind of like a straw, right? Like if you plug your finger on top of a straw, it's just going to stay there. But the minute you take your finger off and it's full of liquid, it pours out. Well, you just opened up that irrigation channel. And if you open up the straw, you can no longer really fill it with water. And so, you know, that's the, that's the number one takeaway is that it is, a, it is an appropriate, normal thing to have happen. Do you find that this happens like people experience water channeling in more of like the negative sense um, based on a certain setup that they have, like whether they're in racks or they're, you know, tables or anything like that. Is there any difference there, do you find, or is it, can it just happen in, in any situation really? I mean, it happens in all situations, right? Like you have to be able to saturate a substrate. You have to be able to raise the water content. I wouldn't say that like the racking style that you're using or the tables make a huge difference, but the flow rate of your drip emitters and the amount of drip emitters that you're using definitely makes a huge, um, you know, is a place, a huge factor in when you're going to channel and if you're going to have these irrigation issues like false drain or, um, you know, you're draining too aggressively. What makes Stonewall such an ideal medium when it comes to the topic of channeling? Well, so we talked about the CEC. The main thing for me is, is that you know, it really, it does come back to that CEC. Like, you have the ability to refresh the root zone quickly and efficiently. 
I'm not going to get into a, you know, a huge talk about flushing, but, you know, flushing came from a time where soil was the predominant growing method. It held on to a heck lot of nutrients. At the end of the growing cycle, oftentimes people would have, you know, more nutrients in the substrate than what they would prefer to finish the crop. So they had to start doing things like, you know, flushing for, you know, up to two weeks even. Wow. With our product, you generally don't need to do that. You can lower the, you can effectively lower the nutrient level if you want to in the substrate you know, and within a couple of irrigation events. And, you know, it, it just ultimately it gives you the ability to control those things that are happening in the root zone. It's the refreshment. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, we always preach, I mean, like, especially with the grown and improved, right? Like less water and nutrients from batch to batch. Um, I guess like also with the improved, it holds onto the water much better than our classic. We touched on this a little bit earlier and and how, you know, you have the ideal, like you said, like channeling isn't, you know, negative or um, positive. It's just sort of like in the middle. It's like if, if you're able to, you know, follow and you have a right irrigation strategy, uh, then you're good. What is the keys to a successful harvest? Um, and like the three, you know, piece of advice to avoid channeling in terms of uh, your irrigation strategy? Data, data, data. You have <laughs> to be collecting data. You can't just be thinking about what your crop needs. You can't just go on feels like data is the way of the future. Data doesn't really lie. You know, it's, it's as good as the, as your ability to collect it, but the data gives you a complete picture. You know, when you're there, when you're not even in the facility, you can be collecting data. So, you know, you can collect your data. You can keep your data for months to years. Like the data doesn't go away and it gives you an extra look into what's going on in the crop. So for me, make sure that you're collecting the water runoff. Make sure that you're collecting the water that's going to your blocks before it hits your blocks. And what I mean by that is usually, you know, maybe in the middle of your table, have an extra dripper that's in a cup collecting water and measure how long you're, you know, when your, your pump's supposed to run for 30 seconds or a minute, collect that water and verify that the amount of milliliters that you're applying to the block is what they, sh is what it is. Wow. And of course, if you're usually using two drip emitters, if you're only using one to collect your sample, then you need to make sure that you're multiplying that to accommodate the extra emitters that you might actually be using. But really, collect your runoff. Take your, you know, collect water from inside the blocks. You can use a syringe to do that if you're not using, you know, something like our GrowSense and eGrow platform. There are ways to do it. They might be more of a, you know, taxing on your labor, but like collect that data and, you know, use the data to guide you. Don't grow by feels. That's a really great point. I've heard Chad mention the syringe method before. If you don't have, um, you don't have a grow sense or a meter or anything. Um, you've also mentioned in the past, like one of the pieces of advice you said was like irrigating slowly on top of collecting data. What did you mean by that? Like if, if you could uh, explain a little deeper. You know, basically depending on the kind of substrate you're using and for us, really the vertical height of the substrate kind of determines what flow rate you need in your drippers. And generally speaking, the taller your substrate is, the larger the difference, you know, in moisture content from the bottom of the block to the top of the block. And that's because gravity is playing a role. The taller your substrate, usually we recommend a lower flow rate. So in this case, it would be like a 0.3. And then it's very common in the shorter substrates for people to use 0.5s, but you can definitely use 0.3s in a shorter substrate as well. But like basically for you as the cultivator, the slower that you can apply the moisture to your substrate within reason, the better the distribution of water and nutrients throughout the, you know, substrate will be. And so like that, you know, that's one of the key things. Like if your drip emitter is not pressure regulated 
where it's too high, maybe it's a gallon per hour, you know, per, you're going to run into problems. And so the slower that you can drip, the slower that you can control the amount of water hitting the block, the more time that you can create in between irrigation events, allowing that water to diffuse properly is going to make your life so much easier. It's really interesting. Like I've never heard anybody mention the testing your irrigation, uh, you know, your drippers with like putting it off into a cup and then measuring that. I find that really creative. Um, I think people could be like use that m- moving forward because it really, sometimes when you say like, well, when we, when we talk about wetting up the block, it's like, okay, you've done it for the desired time, but then check the wet weight, right? Make sure that it's exactly, because it could be off a little bit and that could make, you know, uh, you know, that could have issues down, down the road. And I think the same could be said about your irrigation lines and, and, uh, and your drip emitters and how much, because you might think it's perfect and it's giving way too much water or it's giving way too less. So I, I, I just, I never would have thought of that. Definitely. And it can get complex too. So, you know, we touch about it on the grow guide. You know, we kind of reference it's like doing that task to measure how long to run your pumps. But yeah, taking a measurement of your EC, the pH, and even temperature of the water that's in that cup tells you exactly what your plants are giving, getting at that moment in time. And the other advice that I like to put out there, let's just say that you're using the middle of your tables to collect the water. Then every single cup that you're collecting for that day should be in the middle of a table. If for whatever reason you're collecting water at the end of your table, then they sh- all of those cups should be at the end of the table. If you have pressure differences from the head of the table to the um, tail of the table, that's not you're going to be taking an average, right? And that might not necessarily paint the correct picture that you want. So really, I mean, what I'm saying is, is you just need to make sure that when you're collecting these samples that you're doing them as similar as possible. Naturally, I probably would have thought that you could just take them from everywhere, right? Um, but you're right. Like if, if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be testing, you want to make sure you're testing at each area. And then, you know, well, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm an analytics guy, so I'm always about my analytics and measuring data and, and uh, improving. So it, it's, it's funny how to me, I, I start to see correlations between um, growing plants and, uh, and managing data. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of nerd. I'm that kind of we, nerd. We go to all different shapes, sizes and facilities, you know, like I. I've been yeah. places where the pipes look like spaghetti in a bowl, right? Like they go in every which direction. <laughs> I've been at places where the pipes literally go a mile long. They have to install booster pumps, you know, in the framework of that pipe to keep the, you know, water flowing, the pressure high. All of these things create variances, you know, like where your pump heads originated, like the pressure there is going to be stronger potentially than at the very end. So it's it's important to be taking these measurements everywhere. Don't just choose one room, you know, like Take a day, do room A, but you know, next week, make sure you're taking room B. Spread the love. Love it. Um, that kind of brings us to the closing of this particular topic. We've got a bunch of other questions I kind of want to get into you with, uh, some fan questions. But if you were to kind of like, you know, when people read uh, your addition to the complete guide um, on uh, irrigation channeling, what do you like? What do you, what do you want people to take away from it? Or you know, is there is there something like major message that you kind of want to uh, instill? Well, just really honestly, take your time, think about what it is you're doing, realize that all of these you know physics is at play and it's all happening for a reason, and it's not really our job to fight it. It's our job to try to accommodate it, and I think that's like that's the main thing that I want people to be able to take away. That should be on a t-shirt. Don't fight it, accommodate it. <laughs> um, so uh, that was wonderful, Ben. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this um, and kind of giving people a little bit more details. Sometimes 
when you read a document in your head, you're like, I wonder what he meant by this. And, you know, by listening to this podcast, it kind of like clears up some of that. But while I have you here, I'm going to pick your brain even more <laughs> like I okay. normally do on Instagram. Uh, we've got some good fan questions. Um, some might be, you know, a little straightforward, but to be honest, a lot of them, um, you know, trip me up a little bit off the beginning. So one that I have um, coming from Instagram is how many milliliters would a 1% shot of a 4 by 4 by 4 cube be? <laughs> so that's about a liter block. So we'll call that a thousand milliliters. Yeah. Um, 3% of that would be about 30 mils. That's our standard vegetative shot size. 1% of that would be about 10 milliliters. Nailed it. There we go. Uh, you heard it from him. Um, next question. Uh, and I like this one because we get this a lot and it kind of touches on a lot of what we talked about today with the irrigation. Um, how, how deep do you suggest inserting a Netafan dripper? Um, and does that matter? So it definitely matters. My recommendation has always been you want the dripper to stand as tall as possible while being, while remaining secure in the substrate. If you push a dripper too deep, you might create a situation where the water wants to run through the substrate. If you have the dripper on a high position, that's less likely to happen. But ultimately, the thing is, and this is what I tell everybody, each manufacturer creates a product that's a little bit different than the next. So it's, you know, I can tell you to keep the dripper in the top position, but ultimately, make sure you go to the manufacturer of all your equipment like this and ask them what their recommendation is. Because Manufacturer A might have a different process than B, and they might not distribute water throughout the dripper in the same way. But for me, high position. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point too. Like, I mean, we always preach the higher position. Sometimes you're going to see me share pictures of people who have it a little bit deeper. It might just be their situation. It might be their environment, how that, you know, whoever's told them to do it that way. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's wrong or right, you know? So I always like to say that sometimes because people reach out anytime I share, like, oh, their drippers are too deep or they're too high. It's like, yeah, they might be or they might not be. You know, I don't know their full situation, but I think they're crushing it. So I'm going to I'm going to share that post. Um, next question. How do I know how much water is entering the substrate? Kind of pulls off the last dripper question. Right. If you want to know how much water is reaching your substrate, you want to take those drip emitters, kind of like we spoke about before. You want to have some drippers in a cup. And, you know, the amount of time that it takes for water to reach the desired milliliters in your cup, that's going to be your pump on time. And that's really the best way to gauge how much water is hitting your block. You, you mentioned that a couple of times and I think people can really, you know, kind of hold that true just, you know, to test um, and not just assume um, that, you know, either. It, yeah. And basically the drip emitter is designed to be able to be regulated at a certain PSI. Based off of that PSI, it should give you X amount of water. Over time, like you might wear out some of the pressure compensated emitters. You might have weird pressure variances because your pumps are really far away. And the best way to be able to determine what's going on is by collecting that initial water in the cup. I think it answers the, that question perfectly. Um, last question. When should my block or slabs start draining? In the simplest sense, your block should start draining once you have finally reached your desired water content in the substrate. Usually that is as you're entering phase two um, of your day, so you've reached your desired water content. Now you should start pushing out the older nutrients and creating drain. 
Okay. And if they, if someone was looking for that information, they can find it on the, uh, the irrigation charts that we have, uh, on, on growdam101.com. Totally. Um, so let's, uh, you know, let's have some fun here right to the end. Um, I don't want to keep you too much further, but I will. Uh, <laughs> um, what excites you about the future of the cannabis industry in general? Honestly, for me, it's the legitimization of the industry. Yeah. Is that a word? I think it's a word. But, we make it you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's getting to be more legit. Um, that There's a lot of research getting done. Public institutions, universities, things like that are starting to perform research. And it's bringing up, you know, we're learning how to conserve water. We're learning how to conserve nutrients. We're learning how to protect the amount of energy we're using. And for me, that's what makes me really excited is that it's being legitimized and the proper institutions are helping us, um, you know, make these kinds of cost savings. And I think you've, you've got a good opinion on that too, coming from, you know, the ag world and moving into the cannabis industry and seeing maybe the differences there as well. So, I mean, personally, I, I've seen a lot more, you know, studies and trials being done in the cannabis industry. And it's great to see, um, you know, we recently had some come out with RI, uh, the Research uh, Innovation um, Institute, um, and, you know, a couple that we've got going on at the, uh, the WUR. So, um, it's just great to see. I, I always like seeing more. And for me, you know, distributing content, it, it, you know, just deepens my understanding and then, you know, deepens the content that I can push out to the, uh, you know, to our followers and growers who are looking for that advice. Um, you know, and maybe speaking of that, uh, you know, with the research and new trials that are coming on, um, what are some of the trends maybe in the industry that you're seeing that you're a big fan of? Definitely water reclamation. A lot of people are starting to get on board with no, you know, eliminating the drain to waste aspect. Costs a heck of a lot of money to be able to bring water into your facility, especially if it's coming from city. Um, and, you know, for me, that's one of the major bonuses I've seen is that transferal of knowledge on how to do that in our industry. Excellent. I think, um, you know, we, we speak a lot, a lot. I know Marielle is a, you know, has spoken about this in numerous uh, An absolute regions. expert. Yeah. She, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you want to know anything about this, uh, you can reach out to Marielle uh, or contacts through, you know, greatawana.com. But yeah, she's an expert. I've personally seen her give a couple of speeches uh, on these uh, topics and uh, it, it's amazing. And she's actually got one coming up in September as well. Um, this podcast might not be out by then, but if you haven't had an opportunity, you can check that out. Just check out our Instagram page. Um, you'll be able to get the links to that uh, and listen to her speech. Um, the, the next one where I want to go to is maybe some advice, you know, you've had a really, um, you know, interesting history as you've kind of gained through the, you know, ag world and your love of growing, um, and then moving into the cannabis industry, what, what advice would you give a grower, um, you know, trying to get into a role like yourselves, like a, as a consultant? Make me feel old. <laughs> Basically it's being honest with yourself, right? Like you have to accept your defeats everybody loses some and the people that I see that really come through strong after dealing with defeat are the people who have accepted it. You know, they're the people who are, you know, they raise their hand and they admit at the meeting, they're the one who did X, Y, and Z. They admit it, they learn from it, they correct it and they don't make the same problem again. And I think that is probably the most important thing in being honest with yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, it's a good message to have. I mean, um, you know, our, our I listeners won't know this, but I, we did four recordings before I got into this recording. I kept on messing up the beginning. So like I said, you just, uh, you learn from mistakes. And I think that, uh, I mean, that could be applied to almost any, any role you have. Um, and just being, you know, I think when you're honest with them, like you said, 
you can be honest about how to how to take the next steps instead of you know kind of uh, putting on yeah. blinders as well. So I think um, you know it's always good to have. I there's a couple of the growers that I've actually spoke to um, over the time of the podcast that were very honest about some of the mistakes they've made um, and how they grew for them and now where they are. So I, you know it, it's good to have. You have to be able to have that clarity. I think. Now, this kind of relates to a, maybe a little bit of the question that we just asked earlier about some of the trends, but I was kind of leading into some of the myths about your role, sometimes misconceptions about my role, what I do. Um, is there any myths or misconceptions about your role? To be honest with you, no. We are all legends, Riley. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a good way to, that's a good way to close this out. Um any uh, exciting news, major releases, upcoming presentations you're doing that you kind of want to uh, let everybody know about? Yeah, so by the time this airs, I'll have done a presentation in Denver. Uh, I have colleagues um, that are going to be doing presentations in Detroit, and I'll be doing another one um, October 5th in Arizona. So we do these grower symposiums. We travel around, talk with the cultivators. The cultivators can ask us questions, and it's a really fun time. We can get together, hang out talk shop and meet one another beautiful beautiful uh please check them out uh these are really good opportunities to learn uh firsthand uh from the green experts uh anything else you want to kind of share before we uh call it a day so i'm only one person but i think it's important to know that Growdown has a you know a team of technical advisors we've got marielle taft she's on the west coast I'm here on the East Coast, but we kind of share territories. Marielle is an amazing advisor. She's got many years under her belt. We also have Chad Rigby in Canada. He does all of Canada, all by his lonesome, and he's also an excellent resource. We're all super happy to help people, and we love our, you know, we love our job, and we're very fortunate to be doing what we do. And, you know, I trust them and their knowledge implicitly, so... That's a great point. I mean, when I got here, I trusted in Mary Ellen, Chad. Uh, you know, I, I learned from them. I, I'd ask them questions. I'd, you know, <laughs> probably maybe ask them too many questions. Uh, but it was really big to have them there. And, and I think that um, our green experts are like, I think you guys are some of the top minds in the industry. So we're very lucky to have all three of you. Um, there's, I wish we had more sometimes. I wish I could clone all three of you multiple times. Amazing um, wealth but, of knowledge uh, for sure. But uh, <laughs> We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, I'll get close. I'll get close. I'm working on my cloning. Um, so Ben, uh, very last question. I know I've said that a couple of times, but where, where can our listeners find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. Um, is that the best place to find you? It is. I'm a, I'm a LinkedIn goer. I'm kind of a private guy. So same here. You know, that's the best way to reach me. Excellent. So, you know, Ben Feldman, check him out on uh, LinkedIn. You can find him. I often tag him in a lot of the posts on uh, LinkedIn as well. So uh, if you're ever looking and you're in the area, you kind of have a question or you'd like to set up something, just, you know, give them a call. Um, and that brings us to the conclusion. Uh, ben, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, it's about 50 minutes here. So I feel like uh, these guys' time is money. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I just joke. I, I really appreciate you being here, Ben. I think um, I've really wanted to have you on for a while. Um, we've been chatting about having you on the show. I can't wait to have you back. Um, and, you know, talk about the next couple topics. I know we've talked about irrigation scheduling and things like that and, and how to determine those and really kind of get into deeper discussions. So maybe that's where we go next. Um, if any uh, followers listening have some questions for Ben or there's please a topic that you'd love. Yeah, please reach out. If there's a topic, let us know. 
Um, we could turn that into an episode, no problem. I'd be happy to have Ben back. Um, it's been a you know a goal of mine down the road to have um, kind of like an all green expert episode, maybe where I just sit on the sidelines and I let you, Marielle and Chad, do your thing, um, and really just kind of have like a round table of uh, the brains. That would be fun, um, wouldn't it? That would be fun. Um, but we'll get there eventually. So once again, Ben, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Good talking with you, Riley. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on the Grow Dan Grow Show podcast today. As always, we want to thank our amazing guests and you, the fans, for making this show possible. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a comment below. We look forward to hearing from you. For more information on our products and crop advice, head to growdan101.com and follow at growdan101 on social media for the latest updates, giveaways, and more. Until next time, never stop growing.